0: Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Monday the 18th of October, drizzly grey day here in TW11. That was Kipco British Champions Day. That was the day when Baid was the star, remained unbeaten after six in the Queen Elizabeth II stakes, lowering the colours of Palace Pier. It was the day when Sealyway won the British Champion stakes for France in a race where Mishrif and Adear rather fluffed their lines. It was a day when Holly Doyle very nearly did the double-double, Trushan winning the stairs race and Glenn Sheel going down narrowly, only to creative force in the sprint. Creative force breathing brief life into the jockey's championship, snuffed out fairly quickly as Sheen Murphy was champion jockey for the third time. There was so much more than that however, and on the point of Murphy, it was the day where Sheikh Fahad, his boss, got rather twitchy in an interview on ITV. It was the day when Frankie Dottori got pretty cross just after his ride in the Long Distance Cup and his boss John Gosden expressed his frustration at Dottori's own ride on Palace Pier and if you thought they were all significant news lines that might dominate the headlines the following day then you could think again because David Walsh in the Sunday Times was in receipt of a document that was a major leak somehow had escaped the walls of the British Horse Racing Authority and this was the 120-page document that detailed the case against jumps jockey Robbie Dunn, who it was alleged by fellow rider Bryony Frost had subjected her to a campaign of harassment and bullying, a claim which Robbie Dunn denied. Dave Yates from the Daily Mirror, what's happened here?
1: Well, in yesterday's Sunday Times, piece by David Walsh, uh, the details of the 120-page report into this issue were published, uh, it included the original report five pages of evidence by Briny Frost. This goes back to oh, the aftermath of, of two races last year one at Stratford in July, one in September, the two horses involved Briny Frost was on Wisecracker, Robbie Dunn on Killian's well who suffered a, a, a fatal fall at Southville in September. the the fallout from that' it's alleged that uh, Robbie Dunn had said he would he would put Briny Frost, Uh, through the rail next time uh, that he saw her and another language that uh, on the face of it represents uh, bullying and intimidation the interesting thing that Chris Watts who left the the, uh, head of integrity assurance at the BHA from May 2017 he left his post uh, last year and the David Walsh's piece records that um his view that uh, was that on a balance of probabilities, uh, the case had been proven against Robbie Dunn. So the fact that this is now all in the public domain, we know that this has been going on for a long time, different uh, members of the media, we're, we're always on to the BHA to say any progress with this inquiry, When when will we expect a hearing? Well, we now expect a hearing pretty shortly, but as a result of this leak, you might ask whether uh, this makes it impossible for uh, this this trial to be conducted fairly, this case to be conducted fairly. That's, I, I think that's a moot point. Does it prejudice this in, in some way? I'd say it definitely does. And of course, you know, for such a high profile and sensitive case, the fact that it's now been played out uh, over, the course uh, that has been played out in, in yesterday's Sunday Times is a huge embarrassment.
0: How much is it? How much of a concern is this for the for the regulator?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a huge concern. And um, obviously, as I've said, Chris Watts left last month. Uh, they they must have huge concerns that that there is the potential for this sort of thing still to be leaked out. It's interesting uh, to read what Dal Cowan. Robbie Dunn said you, you would expect a legal representative in these circumstances to go pretty strong on this and uh, Daryl Cowan hasn't disappointed us and has, has said that the, it shows that uh, the BHA's, BHA's integrity department is unfit for purpose. Well I think that's going that's going too far but of course as we say, this is a you know this is a, a an investigation and an inquiry that not just the racing world but the sporting world and beyond has been looking at now for for nearly nearly ten months. And the fact that that this leak has taken place must hu- must must cause huge concern with the BHA, as you would expect. Yesterday there was a statement saying, "Well, we you know we don't." comment on specific cases and we take this uh, case extremely seriously etc etc but the the cat is out of the back and that is hugely embarrassing and hugely concerning for racing's regulator
0: now understandably dave neither the british horse racing authority nor the professional jockeys association want to a comment on the specifics of this case but it's interesting that at the end of both their fairly straight bat statements that in the PJA's case they point to the code of conduct, conduct that has already been released the first of its kind in horse racing and in the BHA's case they suggest that they want to try and get all the sports participants not just stakeholders but participants to sign up to their own code of conduct which would be enshrined in in the BHA uh, rule book
1: yeah I mean I think that one thing that this sounds like after timing, but I think that one thing that we we all expected to come out of this, regardless of of the outcome of of the case, uh, we expected that there would be a code of conduct to which all relevant parties uh, would sign up, and so that's not a massive surprise. The the, um, the the British Horse Racing Authority one seems to go a little bit further. I don't know whether that g- goes beyond people who aren't granted a license uh, by the BHA, that seems to me might might raise issues that that might be difficult to administer. But yeah, absolutely right, that that we know that this is quite rightly, um, a prominent and important issue. And I say I wasn't I wasn't massively surprised that that both bodies had had acted to to draw up a code of conduct in this case
0: and clearly what there is within these statements is a recognition of the necessity for cultural change within the sport and that's reflected in the statements from both the BHA and the PGA irrespective of what happens as a result of this case or irrespective of of the specifics of this as I've as I've already mentioned and I think you can expect on the part of the PGA certainly over the next weeks to recognise, and indeed they have recognised in, in developing a, a code of conduct, even if it is after this case, and even if it maybe is a bit too late, that that culture of the weighing room, that code of silence, that amerta, call it what you will, maybe does need to change. And if if that is the case, then that's certainly a, a step in the right direction. I think whilst recognising that, you can, you can expect at the same time, a, a, a large body of, of professionals to, to get on the front foot and say, well, actually, yes, there are issues. Yes, issues must be dealt with. Yes, there must be a cultural change. But we are not fundamentally a collective of bullies and misogynists. This is still a place that is worthy uh, of respect and capable of showing that respect. All right, let's move on and talk about Champions Day, and and there there were a lot of great performances on Champions Day, but a lot of the, a lot of the performances that that were most notable were ones that took place uh, off the, off the horses. Uh, let's talk about Sheikh Farhad, first of all in his interview with ITV's Ed Chamberlain, um, when he, in which he defended uh Sheen Murphy after the after the troubles of last week.
1: Uh, we we think of Sheikh Fahad as a as a young and modern Sheikh, you know, uh, who is is used to living in the real world and real life that's obviously a a false impression isn't it he's grown up with people telling him that everything that he does is wonderful and that every opinion he has is right um that's i I, i've no doubt about that whatsoever so when he agrees to go on a program like that and he's asked some he's given some proper questioning uh by the interviewer ed chamberlain um I, that's why he bristled. I, I don't think necessarily he was expecting the interrogation to go quite in the direction that it did. I thought it made for, for good television. The quotes were used widely. I used them in the in the Sunday Mirror, um, quotes about, you know, he's my brother, everybody knows that, and people should uh, walk in his shoes before they can have a valid opinion. We're all, uh, we're all very usable quotes. So I think it was a, a good piece of TV and it elicited strong quotes, and yes, he definitely bristled. But as I say, I, I think that you know, because because Sheikh Fahad doesn't have that austere aura around him as perhaps other people that we deal with from that part of the world have, we're we, we're lulled into something of a of a, a false sense of security that. Um, that, that he's lived his life in in the real world where he's opened himself up to quote unquote proper questioning and i'm pretty sure that's not the case
0: and did this actually ironically rather just fan the the flames of a story that they all wanted to douse
1: yeah it, well the feeling at the time was that the i thought that the the news desks uh that had the allegations of events in the yards of the thursday night before the failed breath test um, i suspected that th- that the story would be broken by one of the news desks in fact it was uh, the sun that wrote it and Yeah, I mean, I I think now these things have a a natural life cycle. Um, This one did certainly, it it, it wouldn't lie down, would it? You thought it had taken its last breath and then there was a bit more. I I, I suspect that the the perfect cadence was on Saturday when Asheen Murphy uh, collected his jockey's title. He obviously has issues in his own life uh, that he has to address and now he has the time uh, to do that as the, the he he's not running around the country trying to ride winners in a, in the at the frenetic pace that he has over the last few weeks I, I hope that he can sort those issues out because at 26 he's merely at the beginning of a of a very promising career we, we don't want it uh, to be derailed okay um
0: what about Frankie Dettori on Saturday? He had a, a troubled day. He was criticised by John Gosden and he criticised Dylan Brown McMonagle. and he probably left with his his head bowed a little lower than it normally is uh, as he leaves uh, Ascot Racecourse.
1: Absolutely right. Frankie has had many amazing days uh, at Royal Ascot. He refers to it as his spiritual home and there's a statue of him as you enter the racecourse but you're quite right that this wasn't a, uh, a, a a day's racing that he'll remember with particular fondness. Um, the issue in the long distance cup, I thought, was I, I, I thought that that Frankie was mistaken. Really, uh, he, he the quotes were taken in the in, in the the heat of well the aftermath of the battle, let's say that, he was walking back to the weighing room when we asked him about Stradivarius. As you say, he was critical of Dylan Brown, McMonagle saying that um, it was a disgrace and that uh, the, the the kid, I think he said, had done everything he could to get me beat. It, it looked to me simply as though Frankie was caught wide and was pushed wide uh, into the straights. It's interesting that the stewards looked at that race. They did hand out a suspension to a jockey but it was to Ryan Moore for his riding of the the Mediterranean in an earlier part of the race so I think that this was something that was said in the heat of the moment I think I suspect that if we spoke to Frankie now he would have calmed down the phrase about no quarter being asked for or given uh, in horse racing we're very familiar with I think that if a jockey and particularly a jockey of Frankie's experience thinks that a rider in front will simply get out of the way and, and make his uh, passage on his mount um, shorter or, or more advantageous, if you see what I mean. I think that that's a naive view. I think that if Frankie were to watch that again, he would probably admit that, that he'd overreacted. And if he still felt the same way, I, as I say, it, it's not a view that I share.
0: And what about John Gosden? Was he right to criticise Frankie Dettori on Palace Pier? And Dave, what about John Gosden? Should he have criticised Frankie Dettori's ride on Palace Pier?
1: Not the first time it's happened. He criticised the tactics aboard Strat- or the ride aboard Stradivarius in the Gold Cup in June. He said this on this occasion there was too much looking around, and Frankie knows that. Um, I think it's quite a refreshing thing, to be honest. I th- when you say should he have criticised, I, th- I think it's a, a good thing. I, I think it's something that we should have more of in horse racing. Uh, it, it happens in other sports. Uh, football managers can say without fear of too, um, triggering too much controversy that you know a centre-forward was through and should have scored. So I, d- I don't think that this is a bad thing. I think, in fact, that it's informative and I'd like to see more of it.
0: And now we finally get to talking about what actually happened on the track. Bayeed, the hero in the Queen Elizabeth II stakes, like two of the other winners on the card, Ashada and Aldari, in the colours of Shadwell, the late Sheikh Hamdan Al Maktoum, Angus Gold, the racing manager for so many years, so many decades. Uh, I spoke to him earlier and I put it to him as as Shadwell downsized and and rationalised the operation considerably, that this must have been both a poignant and important day
2: to have such a remarkable day it was spoiling it was but it was more just the sort of as you say reflecting on Sheikh Hamdan's life in racing and how much he put into it and I just kept thinking what, how much he would have loved that day you know how special to have two homebred group one winners from two of the best families that he's had representatives of over the years and obviously how of fashion, sort of kick-started the whole thing with Antoine, Nayef, Nashwan, um, and uh, yeah, it was just, you know, he would have absolutely been swelling with pride of the, to have seen that horse come out and win the big mile championship race, and obviously to have a Mohara, a homebred stallion of his, um, have a first Mohara Group 1 winner. Um, was you know he'd have, he'd have loved that too. So as you say, a lot of a lot of things to reflect on.
0: And to to what extent did his his way of doing things? To what extent has that informed what you and your team have have done since he since he died?
2: Well, you like to think you know I've worked with him for thirty four years. By the time he died, and you like to think some of his. Mannerisms, some of the ways you think he would have done things would rub off on you. He was a quiet man, as everybody knows, a bit understated, if you like. Um, and I, I hope we try and maintain that, um, sort of in his honour. Uh, but you know, and the other thing is, obviously, so many people you know, in every success, but but a day like that, it's it's not just us at the front it's all the people behind the scenes on the studs and all the yearling breakers the lads in the yard it's it's, it reflects on so many people and it it affects so many people you know it's so good for morale for an awful lot of people Um, and he was always very aware of that um always gave credit to the staff who did the work and and their teams and to the stud staff, and, and it would have been a huge fillip to I mean, it was a fillip for everybody, but p- particularly to everyone at Time Stud where these two were reared, who put in so much work behind the scenes and probably never get the credit they deserve. So um, he'd have loved that bit as well. Um.
0: So, should results like Saturday's Angus encourage us that the that the future of Shadwell is a bit more robust than perhaps we thought, and that and that you can operate successfully as a sort of boutique outfit globally?
2: I think very much so, Nick. Um, you know, the, everything has happened quite fast, and obviously the first thing was that the family just felt they didn't want to have such a, an enormous global spread out operation, if you like, that they want to quali- to uh, focus on quality rather than quantity um so the next few weeks we're going to be selling plenty of horses of the horses in training sales and then breeding stock uh, breeding stock sales in november december and into february next year but i think when when that is done and we've tidied things up a bit we will be left with hopefully 70 or 80 of the best racehorses we can muster um and, you know, I see no reason why we won't have results like we had on Saturday. Obviously, we won't have the sheer number of runners that we've had in previous times. Um, but hopefully that doesn't necessarily mean the quality will be diminished.
0: And that'll be Europe and America primarily, won't it?
2: As I understand it, Nick, at the moment, that's that's the focus, is, is Europe and, and America exactly, exactly. Um, you know Sheikh Hamdan himself as you know everybody knows used to come over here as much as he could. Um, he has a breeding operation in Ireland and, and England and America and he loved to get around the studs and, and you know Sheikh Ahissa uh, the first time I met her she emphasized to me that the first priority was to be the studs and so that's why a day like Saturday was so important to get a potential stallion firstly and, and then to get a group one winning filly for the stud in due course so you know that uh, if we can keep doing that from time to time well then then I think it'll have a, a robust and um, hopefully strong future
0: and as far as the two horses are concerned they, they both stay in training next year is that right at the moment Nick that was certainly
2: the plan going into Saturday um. I haven't spoken to the family properly since other than just to congratulate them and I obviously wanted time just to digest everything. Um, So we'll be having those conversations, but neither of them have been overly raced in in their lives. Obviously, Baid, as everybody knows, only started in June this year, never ran as a two-year-old, so I don't see any reason why he wouldn't go on next year and... Uh, and the same with the with the filly with the Shada. She's she's been very lightly campaigned. She's done very very little wrong, and she's a big scopey filly. I'm sure she would be better next year. So we're going. We need these flagship horses to keep the family's name to the forefront, and Shadwell's name, obviously, for Shergarhman's legacy. So I, I would think at this stage they'll both be back in training next year.
0: Angus Gold, there talking about Shadwell, and clearly these results huge for for the furtherance of this operation albeit significantly scaled down dave
1: yeah it represents a, a massive cut back down to about 70 it was a, a a real triumph that was the that was the lead really or one of the leads coming from champions day was that for for three winners out of the six for shadwell was a huge triumph obviously it, it those colors i think we've accepted now that they're going to be uh, a much less common sight on British racecourses. I hope that they're still going to be a, a a sight in the upper echelons of the sport, and of course, uh, at least the standard will be carried, and I, I hope carried still with distinction uh, by by it in 2022.
0: And Dave, it seems rather perverse, but we've we've left
1: it quite late in the,
0: in the day to talk about the Champion Stakes winner uh, Sealyway, but. It was such a, it's been such a bizarre weekend of, of fast-moving news that here we are. Um, should we give him a little credit?
1: Yeah, we definitely do. We should also speak about Mikhail Barcelona, a, a, a jockey who, I think it's fair to say, made a, a really a meteoric rise through Godolphin a, a decade ago. Of course, he won the... Uh, the Derby in 2011 aboard Paul Moi for uh, Andre Fab and and in, in the colours of of Sue Magna, uh, his star then dipped. It was it was good to see him back in the uh, in the limelight, and and he was happy to talk about. Uh, events of the last ten years. Seaway, of course, was a place behind Adar in the Prix de the de behind Torquato Tasso, of course, and it, he was the horse who evidently had, had come out of uh, that race best. It, it looked as though Adar. Yes, things went against him in the race, and went against him of, of his own making at the start when he was kicking out in the stores. I think his leg might have been stuck or something, but certainly things didn't go to plan for Adi. But um, hopefully, he and and Hurricane Lane, we'll see them at the at the top level next year.
0: All right, have you got a tip for me for today?
1: I have indeed. We're going to go to the five o'clock race, the opening. Race at uh, Dunstall Park today for apprentices, a handicap, and it's number five, Holy B. A lightly raced daughter of Declaration of War stayed on over 10 furlongs at Yarmouth last time out, now steps up to 12. I think well, that will be of benefit. And uh, Joe Bradnam is an inexperienced apprentice, but he claims a very useful £7 allowance here, and I hope that will be telling. Five o'clock race at Wolverhampton, selection number five, Holy B.
0: Dave, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow uh, with news also that the Breeders' Cup have allowed, and this was released last night, uh, Bob Baffert to enter horses in the event, subject only to enhanced uh, pre-race testing. Reflections on that uh, tomorrow. But uh, from all of us, we will see you then. Bye-bye.